Hello everyone, my name is Vanessa Menendez Covello and this is the Fresh Needle podcast where I interview fresh graduates and acupuncture students from all over the world and we discuss their experiences as students or running their own clinics, particularly in these very weird times of COVID-19. I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity that is opening up for new graduates who are looking to build their acupuncture practice. Nava Karman is a leading acupuncturist and herbalist specializing in fertility, gynecology, and the immune system. She has run the fertility support company for over 20 years. Nava is launching a new mastermind group exclusively for new graduates. This mastermind group will meet every two weeks to provide mentoring, guidance, and inspiration, and will focus on clinical skills and the practicalities of building a business. This will be a close-knit group of practitioners who will work together for a year to develop the skills and habits required to be clinically effective and financially successful. I recently did a session with Nava, and what I liked the most about it is how safe I felt about discussing my fears and worries. I came out of it with a list of very practical, achievable steps to implement change. There are only six places in the group, so you need to apply quickly. Go to www.fertilitysupport.expert forward slash graduate. Welcome, everyone. Today on the Fresh Needle podcast, we are coming back to the soul of the podcast, which is about recent graduates or very soon-to-be graduates of acupuncture. My guest today is Joanna Elner. Joanna is a former beauty editor, having worked at some of the biggest magazines in the world. She has written for the Sunday Times, Hong Kong Tatler, and spent seven years as the beauty director at Stylist Magazine. And she has consulted for the likes of L'Oreal, Clarence, Kiehl's, and Yves Saint Laurent Beauty. In 2016, Joanna decided to juggle her work and a three-year degree in Chinese medicine and acupuncture at the University of Westminster in London, United Kingdom, and she spent most of her second year of studies pregnant with her first baby. COVID-19 has thrown a spanner in the works during her last year of studies, and like so many of us, she's trying to navigate these really turbulent times with as much grace as possible. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. Um, for our listeners who cannot see us, I'm going to tell you she is very, very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. I'm blushing. <laughs> um, no, I put some red lipstick on just so I could feel put together, which is always my uh, little trick, which I've been doing for years and years. But we don't get to do that too often now with masks. But since I'm at home, I can wear what I want. I know. I'm, I spend all the day behind the mask and it's terrible. I'm, I'm getting like maskne. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure soon there will be something we can do about that, but it really is actually impacting on my skin. It is. There's no kind of airflow. So yeah, the skin is getting quite congested at the moment. Um, and, and don't get me started on the visors. You know, some councils here in London are requiring that on top of the mask we wear a visor. And then it's very weird. You just breathe up and then you steam your visor. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in how working practitioners are using PPE because I think there is quite a spectrum of what, what is being used and what information is out there. And um, I just came from an acupuncture session um, with Sean Clear at E5 Acupuncture, which is close to my house. And I've been going there for quite a few years. And um, he was wearing a mask and there's a really thorough process at the door where my temperature is checked. Um, he hands me sanitizer and also I fill in the form online on the day of treatment, which says I don't have a temperature. I haven't been in contact, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I know that that is really one of the key things that's preventing my graduating year at Westminster from returning to our polyclinic to complete our hours 
because they're doing a full audit of what PPE is required. So when we are able to finally do that, which I've been told is early next year, there'll be it will be no sooner than January, which is a humongous uh, gap between my having last been there, which was late February, um, almost a year. So it's a really challenging thing for us. But also I'm concerned that there will be so much PPE and so much cleaning between patients, all necessary, of course, but I just wonder how well or how much impact that will have on the treatments we're able to give and the experience we're able to glean from those clinic days. It is really, really difficult. So I'm a clinical um, clinic, clinical assistant at the City College of Acupuncture, and we have the third-year students actually um, these new third years are literally starting their clinic day tomorrow, so I'm going to be there. And it's a whole because um, the City College of Acupuncture is housed in within the City College, which has other courses, which I don't know right now which ones are running or not. But there's this whole thing where um, we do the consultation online with Zoom or any other kind of um, technology, and then they have to text the student practitioner to let them know they're outside because on crossing the door, they need to clean their hands and get masks and gloves. Then, yes, the amount of cleaning is just, and, and it's hardcore cleaning. Uh, and do they, are they required to wear um, plastic gloves and aprons and visors, or is it just masks? Right. So I'm, I'm very worried now that I'm going to let the college down because I'm not fully. <laughs> um, I, I think we're required. Everybody's feeling it out. Still. Yeah, I think we're required Everybody's to wear masks, um, not the aprons, but they have to take the their um, clinic uniform has to go into college in a plastic bag. So the student practitioners travel with their own clothes and then they get changed. And then once they're done with the day, that clinic uniform goes back into their plastic bag to go home to be washed at 60 degrees. Um, and I think I think they might have to wear visors as well because I was there yesterday and we were actually practicing face points. So obviously for that, you really do need a visor. You, you can't just be hovering over someone's face um, with just a mask. But yes, it's um, they definitely cannot see as many patients as my cohort could see. Like in the last month, we were like, you know, person after person after person, but just the cleaning and the ventilating and the chucking everything and all the waste needs to go into bags that need to then sit there for 72 hours before they get collected not there in the clinic we put them somewhere else but it's 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 a lot um yeah it does sound like a lot i mean more than anything obviously we want to ensure that there is safety for the practitioners and for the patients and for the supervisors at the clinic and more than anything i'm just really keen and eager to get back in there as soon as possible to finish finish yeah. my clinic hours so that I'm able to graduate and m receive my license and, and be able to kind of kick things yeah. off. This is a huge delay. Because for, I saw you got left your clinical hours. Yeah, well, so we, um, that's all I have left. I've um, completed all of the, um, the written assignments um, through lockdown over the last six months. And we've received all of our lectures on, you know, our, our university Zoom platform. Um, 
but it's the clinic hours and bearing in mind lockdown happened pretty much halfway through the academic year for us because we run right up to the end of July and so for I'd say 90% of our class we were you know 50% down on the hours we needed to graduate so even if there was flex there I mean at the end of the day we're the ones that will suffer if we were to graduate early without completing those hours because it's that clinic experience that we need more than anything and you know that's the kind of the biggest drawback is is the gap that we're left at the moment I during my acupuncture session today I was really thinking about how just the physicality of inserting needles obviously you can know your point locations but just the feel of each point and um, handling of needles and handling of bodies and palpation and all of those physical aspects it's that that we're really missing and it's that that I worry is something that's going to be very hard to kind of bring back in the last few hours that we have left in the clinic once it reopens early yes I was um, helping the third years prepare for starting the clinic and they were they were feeling exactly that they were like oh my god I haven't really because you are not allowed to practice outside college that really is quite a strict rule <laughs> um, so they were all feeling quite nervous about just just remembering you know what the needle feels like and the whole kind of um you know where you go around it you you take this you put that here and there is such a an energetic flow to it and i think when i witness um a really experienced acupuncturist or someone who is just a, a master at it i can really take on board that they do it with such finesse and flow and i think that only really comes from volume of patients using points lots and lots <clears throat> excuse me lots and lots of times and you're right we're not really at liberty to treat anyone and it's not you know it's frowned upon I can do needling on myself and you know my husband is a slight pincushion at home but he signs up for that freely so um there is that but it's just not it's no comparison to real life bodies real life problems and you know that that brilliant super supervisor um, dynamic where you are constantly observed, you can constantly improve, you can constantly ask questions if there's something that you're not quite sure of. So um, it was great to watch Sean today just because it's been it's been a few weeks since I last went. And that's something that I think has enabled me to keep somewhat connected to the course and to the practice of acupuncture is receiving treatment myself absolutely and yes that's how i found you through sean <laughs> so i follow sean yes i follow sean oh, really? on instagram <laughs> i've known him for a few years through um yoga and acupuncture <laughs> and then i think you tagged him because you had just been to see him and then I'm, I'm nosy i always like to see what's out there on instagram and your instagram account is really beautifully curated it's it's just it looks amazing <laughs> so that's one of the questions Thank I wanted you. to ask you is what's your creative process because I think a lot of us um, there are a lot of people that are not so visual like I always live inside my head so I really struggle with the kind of like making or choosing beautiful images. Um, I certainly struggle too and I think that I have such a kind of strong vision of how I want it to look and feel that I almost get quite stuck in that and it, it there isn't often a freeness to it um 
But in a way, I think it does draw back to my previous career where um, it was a, you know, a lot of words written, but a lot of shoots and visual aspects. And I, I am a visual person and I enjoy visual arts um, and culture. And I think it allows me to um, express a form of creativity. Um, and also I want to, I suppose there is a, a, an underlying motive to, to that in that I want to create um, a different I suppose I want to speak to a different consumer who maybe hasn't tried acupuncture, who is perhaps in the worlds that I used to occupy in fashion and beauty and um, PR, marketing, culture, art, all of those places, um, you know, of millennials and younger age groups. There are people there that probably haven't had the disposable income to try acupuncture, but maybe now mm. do. COVID <laughs> maybe has put a stop to that, but let's hope not. But yeah, it does. It speaks to a different demographic, I suppose. And um, it's one that I have an affinity to the, you know, my friends are people who work in those industries. And, and it allows me to just create a different narrative than what maybe is already out there. And it also just creates a creative, it's a creative process that I can engage in, which which is enjoyable for me. So I will, you know, select an image and see what it speak, how it speaks to me, what it kind of relates to in terms of acupuncture and, and, and find something that I find to be compelling, you know, um, probably along the lines of women's health, stress, um, psycho-emotional stuff. Um, those are the aspects that I'm drawn to. And I think in these times, you know, sometimes it's helpful for us to, to hear that, you know, there are physical reasons behind the way that we feel emotionally and it may not be yeah. the reverse. Um, and it's good to, it's good to put some encouraging messages out there. I'm really aware of trying not to come off as a guru or um, I don't want there to be a hierarchy in the way I talk about these things because I, that's certainly not me. I am in no way a guru. I'm in no way um unflawed like any of us I'm human and I'm learning every day is a, a journey of learning into this subject and beyond and I'm open to that and so I just want to be a vessel of this knowledge and this medicine I, I want to be a conduit as opposed to some you know I don't know some kind of like a right. disciple of it yeah I just don't want to sense? be standing there preaching at people but rather kind of journey with them but yeah. it's really clever actually that you've identified your ideal patients because that's something that um it was Nava Karman who said to me you know who who's your ideal patient and I was like I don't know the person that crosses the door of the clinic <laughs> at the time I didn't quite get it but she had a very valid point which is that there are people with whom you resonate and people that not so much so I thought a lot about um, my kind of ideal patient and I am very much for, I believe in, in allopathic medicine. I, I love medical doctors. They've saved my life a, a few times. <laughs> so I'm not opposed. I'm not that person that will tell you only do acupuncture and herbs because the Western medicine doctors will kill you. I'll never say anything like that. And then I find that I attract the people that want to integrate both because that's actually half, how I've worded my Instagram and my website. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You say that about identifying um, your ideal patient. And to be honest, that's something I've only given a, a lot more thought to in the last, 
well, this year, because um, one of our modules at Westminster is, is all about starting your business. So they're really good on providing that foundation of business knowledge and marketing um, to the graduating students, which I find is sometimes lacking in practitioners that I see outside of outside of university. So I think that's brilliant. And it caused me to really sort of look into who I thought I could help and who I would resonate with. And, you know, it is that it is that young professional working woman, the woman that I was before I started this journey. Um, but I've also I'm also very aware of the fact that I do not want to limit myself to that person. And, you know, there is a risk, I think, of treating the same thing with the same patient over and over again. And that's not going to um, that's not going to propel me professionally. It's not going to, you know, build me as a practitioner. Um, I think the last few months have also really opened my eyes even more to the fact that this is, can be an elitist medicine, which is only open to these certain few that can afford um, this complementary, as it's known, um, addition to just their general, you know, NHS care or private health care. Um, so it's always been part of my plan to um, provide um, free treatments to um, women through charities that are close to my heart once I'm up and running, once I can, you know, feasibly do that so that I don't end up just treating that same demographic. I hear you. I hear you on that because as soon as I graduated, I started um volunteering at Consonant, which was a charity in Tottenham um, that catered for um, immigrants to the country. So once a month, they had a health service in the evening where they had nurses and they had a nutritionist. And then there were there was another acupuncturist that had been there for quite a while, So, which was good because I needed a bit of mentorship on the, on the job. Um, yeah. Sadly, actually, that service has closed down because of um, the COVID. And in a way, I think I always wonder because, you know, this thing we human do, humans do when we always think that we've got it worse than someone else. So when I think of the students that couldn't graduate, I think, oh, that's terrible. But at the same time, I think, well, I started my clinic in October and then I had to shut it down <laughs> in late March. And I've been paying rent while I couldn't practice. So that was quite a blow. That's really true. I mean, that is something that Sean said to me last time. He said, you know, this could be a blessing for you because to completely establish a clinic as a new graduate in these times with these obstacles and challenges could be really difficult. And actually to have this kind of stopgap delay might actually be um, a benefit in the long run, because hopefully by the time I do finish my clinic hours and graduate and, and start my clinic, there will be less in terms of the um, regulations and protocols and it hopefully will give me that element of freedom in the way that I practice um, but yeah that the the charity sounds brilliant the one that you worked for and it's something that I would love to do as well and I'd love to create some sort of uh, function through um, booking on my website which I'm trying to design at the moment um, where you can add on um, a certain amount mm. to charity when you pay for your treatment I think things like that, they're just so easy to do. And I think if, you know, if you if it's worded as in this pro will provide a treatment for another woman in need or, you know, those types of things, I think that women would be more than happy to 
contribute and I really want to make make a mark in yeah and I think actually that's one of the good things that COVID has brought has been that sense of you know, trying to, to help each other, I think. I think people are, have been more inclined, at least in my street, we created a WhatsApp group and we, you know, we looked after each other. So I think, um, I think people would be more than willing to, to help other people through, you know, funding of, of acupuncture for people that need them, really. So I think definitely the pandemic has fostered um, a greater sense of community and not just how it used to be, which was your community where people you either associated with because you shared similar socio-political views or they were your family, people you've grown up with. Now I think that our community has expanded to include those that are different to ourselves and I think that that's a really positive thing and it's really exposed the the, the humanity of the world for good and bad. Um, I've witness the bad as well and we continue to witness that every day um, and I think the acupuncture community has been also really supportive um, to each other to patients to to me as a as a continuing student um, it's it's great to feel that support yeah I think so too so my next question was um, you spent most of your second year um, of studies pregnant so how was that Honestly, when I look back, I do wonder how I did it. Um, I'm quite tenacious anyway, and uh, I've always been quite hardworking almost to a fault. So I think there were times when I probably should have slowed down a bit, especially because I was a very heavy pregnant woman. There was no off switch when it came to eating. I was probably put on about four and a half stone. And (laughs) just just dragging that type of body around campus was... um, was a feat in itself and at the time I had a different laptop and I remember now that it was it was an old school Apple Mac and it was so heavy so I had that on my back and I had the baby on the front um I was just happy to sit down at any point and the tutors were really supportive um really supportive always checking in with me I think they could tell that I didn't want any special treatment um even in clinic when obviously you spend most of the time on your feet I think there was only once or twice right towards the end I, I finished clinic in the April and I gave birth in the May. I think towards the end, I just started getting hot flushes and, you know, it, there's no windows in our clinic. So it was, um, I just felt hot all the time. So sometimes I would just go, excuse me, I need to just pop outside and get some air. Um, but it was also really, really nice to talk to patients because they just, their face wow. always lit up when they <laughs> saw this waddling pregnant student practitioner in a white coat walking towards them um, saying, yes, I'll be doing your treatment today. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was hard, but it was doable because I, I had support and I was really determined to not have to come back and finish any of my second year. So if I had taken more time off before she was born or um, kind of. I guess pulled the brakes a little bit then I would have had to come back and complete some more of my second year and then wait for the third year to start so my plan immediately was to move all of my assessments forward to um, complete those in the April and then I had agreed that I would um, complete I think three or four clinic days during the following summer before the third year began so that my second year clinic hours were ticked off you know I'm 37 now and I started it when I was 34 no hold on was I 33 I can't do the math 2016 September and um 
you know, already I had had like a really great long career, 12 years in journalism, and I just did not want to add any more years on to this course more than were necessary. Of course, if this is a lifelong journey. I'm fully aware that this does not end where my degree ends, and I'm excited about that. But at the same time, I couldn't look down the barrel of five years. It was just too long a time for me to even comprehend. Um, so I really wanted to get that second year finished. And um, I think probably harder than being pregnant at university was the time I had off. I was very anxious about suddenly becoming a mother. Your identity shifts hugely at that point. So not only did my identity shift into suddenly becoming a mother, but also I had just started this course which I wasn't able to continue with. I'd also left this career, but that very, very much felt still part of my identity. So I had a I had a year of kind of quite a lot of trying to figure out who I was and what I stood for and where I was going, and and also trying to allow myself to enjoy that year of maternity leave and give myself a break. Um, but of course, I just was anxious about everything I was forgetting and constantly trying to read books um, at night. And of course, as a, as a new mum, I got through maybe a paragraph before I was falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I did some intensive kind of catching up in the two or three months before I started again last September. A couple of really practical questions are... Um... Were your treatment rooms at Westminster big? Could you walk around them? Because I have one acupuncturist friend that I used to go to. And when she was very, very pregnant, she really struggled getting around the bed. Yeah. Um, that, one of the things that actually drew me to Westminster was the clinic itself. Um, I also had visited another university. Um, but there was something about that clinic that just felt right. I don't I know see. if you've ever seen it or been there, but... It's a, I think it's been there for about 25 years, if not more. Um, so it's, there's like parquet flooring and it just feels very traditional. Um, and in fact, we have these kind of um, shuttered doors which have hinges all over. So the, the hilarity is that you're constantly trying to really discreetly shut these doors as somebody's changing. And then as soon as you shut <laughs> one, another one opens. And it just, it's just the character of the clinic and each of the treatment rooms, they are big enough to walk around. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone was great at kind of offering me a seat um, to sit down and, you know, take the pulse and um, chat to the patient. So it it felt OK. But I know that I, re I was kind of counting down the hours some days because I just had no energy left. Um yeah, it's hard to focus when you're pregnant too. That everything is given to the baby, so you don't have much left for um, yeah. intellectual focus. Um, but yeah, I'm glad it happened in my second year because I think had it been my third year, it would have been even more of a struggle because obviously all of the, the assessments ramp mm -hmm. up and your knowledge needs to be at such a different. And did level. you have? Do they make like lab coats for pregnant women? I I really do not know. <laughs> No, they they don't. But I I ordered one, which I think is for a large man, <laughs> and um, and just buttoned it up over the bump. And I I have some pictures, yeah, which I've I've shared sometimes on on Instagram. And I always get so many messages going. I can't believe you did that. Even people, because obviously I joined the year below when I when I returned to university last September. So my original year group had graduated last summer. So when I joined down and shared these images, like a lot of the a lot of my current cohort had no idea that that's what I did, and they just couldn't believe that I was in clinic the size that I was. Um, 
but yeah, I, I liked it. And and also some of my um, cohort were able to practice on me as a pregnant woman. And I was more than happy to take that because I think a lot of pregnant women will agree, um, especially those who are practitioners. It, if you have any, any kind of internal imbalance, it tends to just become more pronounced during pregnancy. So I knew I already had quite a lot of empty heat and liver cheese stagnation, which was often kind of like worsening into a liver yang rising and and that just kind of went into hyperdrive when I was pregnant so I was just constantly hot had headaches hot hands hot feet and it was a it, it you know acupuncture was brilliant for helping me that's with fantastic that. that's really sweet actually people <laughs> giving you a hand <laughs> So um, <laughs> the the million dollar question because this is actually something that I was talking to the to the students um, the second year students yesterday were really interested in um, facial acupuncture so kind of like um, rejuvenation acupuncture is that something that you will be doing is that something that interests you? It's it's yeah it's an interesting question because it's something I've wrestled with since the beginning of my course. I think when I first decided to go down this route, I sort of assumed it would be part of my treatment offering because of my history or background in beauty and I specialized in writing mm -hmm. about skincare. So I'm I'm still passionate about that world um, and knowledgeable in you know could I put the two together? Um, it's definitely something that I'm still interested in doing, but I think I've come to the point where I couldn't specialize in that alone because, I mean, a facialist can do a facial acupuncture course that's, you know, four to six weeks and offer that service. I've done a degree in traditional acupuncture, which is so much broader and so much more brilliant and amazing and effective for real life health problems. Um, than simply you know cosmetic rejuvenation and of course you can use facial acupuncture for treating internal imbalances as well but you know a lot of it is is based on the cosmetic impact so in a word possibly yes I will offer it but it's not going to be the focus of my of my business and um, and that's because I my eyes have been opened to the extent of what acupuncture can do And I just think it would be doing a disservice to the to the whole concept of traditional Chinese medicine that I've been so um, lucky to have, you know, found a path within over the last few years. It would be an, a disservice to focus purely on this tiny little aspect. Yeah, I have very, very mixed feelings too, because on the one hand, there's definitely a demand that there are people that, that do want it. Um, during lockdown, um, I was, uh, because, you know, the clinics shut down entirely. And my two jobs at the time, I had my clinic two and a half days, and then I was a teaching assistant um, for two days at college. But unfortunately for me, my teaching assistant position wasn't the practical stuff. It was literally anatomy and point location. So that had to go. So I was really bored and that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> um, but I also started doing um, facial acupuncture on myself. I was just like finding my frown lines and, and it's amazing. Like, you know, the next day I could see an improvement. But on the other hand, I always think that, at least for me, I've always been of the belief that... Um, What you want is a healthy skin. You don't want to have um, your um, any kind of internal imbalance uh, reflecting on your skin and then try to patch up with 
I don't know, with makeup. I mean, if that's what you have to do because you're feeling self-conscious about your, let's say, spots, that's fine. But I always try to treat the spots to try to get good skin internally. Yeah, you've just reminded me of something that I've been thinking of for quite a few years, which is ultimately I've tried every single skincare product out there. I've tried 300-pound serums. I've tried lasers, I've tried Botox, I've tried a tiny piece of filler in my cheeks about five years ago. I've tried all of the skincare products that you can imagine. And I genuinely believe that they can only, let's talk topical skincare, they, that as a product can only really improve or change your skin by about 20%, 25%. So it's just visible. When I started to realize that, because I, there are certain things that I have in my complexion have really congested pores. That's one of the things I've always struggled with. Um, but yeah, I had you know this arsenal of skincare and nothing could improve that or change it no matter what I tried. And I think that that's when I started to investigate the how the internal imbalances from a Chinese medicine perspective are impacting my skin. You start to kind of put the jigsaw pieces together. And I totally agree with you that actually, if you are treating um, constitutionally, let's say if you're treating um, the organs and the channels based on a certain imbalance or pattern, then by, by proxy, the skin will improve because you're creating um, yeah, a more even flow. So the body is able to perform better. Um, having said that, I think it would be a lovely thing and a fun thing for um, patients of mine to potentially receive some extra facial needling alongside, you know, a more thorough acupuncture treatment as like an, a nice add-on because I'm able to offer that. And what we're doing there is we're just promoting the microcirculation of the skin. I think that's also um, a slight uh, benefit that I have in terms of um, the consultation and diagnosis because I naturally look at somebody's skin because of my former job because of my interest in beauty and skincare, I've always kind of studied people's faces. And I think obviously from a acupuncture point of view, there's so much information that can be gleaned from that in terms of how you put together the diagnosis of a patient. So it, it kind of goes to a deeper level for me. And I think that's a real powerful aspect of how I diagnose and how I put those pieces together. Um, and I did my dissertation on the C-gen, see my Chinese pronunciation is terrible, but the four examinations that we that, that we use as practitioners to um, create an accurate diagnosis. So yeah, touching, looking, listening, palpation, um, all of those aspects. So the inquiry uh, aspect of the examinations was um, for the practitioners that I interviewed, that was the most important one for them. And of course, like this, this medicine goes through so many waves and changes over the centuries that this is where we're at now. This is what our society reflects. We are a society of talking, of expressing, particularly in the Western world. You know, we are comfortable with therapy. We're talking on social media. We're talking on podcasts. So it always I find it interesting that it always reflects what's happening culturally as to which aspects of the, the diagnosis are uh, viewed to be the most um, reliable clinically. 
But of course, centuries and centuries ago, it would have been the pulse. They were big on pulse, a little bit more than I think. But I know, I know days. what you mean because, for example, I'm quite, um, I'm wood, I'm very woody. Um, but it doesn't, you know, when you when you learn about the body type for the wood person, I don't necessarily feel like I fit there. But I think the way I carry myself is very wood, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, I think especially as students or you know newly graduated practitioners our own bodies become such sources of fascination and I've noticed these thread veins on my thighs and I'm looking up you know Chong Mai and Ren Mai issues and connect, making connecting the dots and that's what this medicine is isn't it and it's just so fascinating to be able to do that on yourself however I do think we do we are blinkered when it comes to ourselves and I also thought that I was pure wood 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 because that just reflects how I am and how I behave um but I did another way of kind of keeping engaged with with acupuncture as as an as an industry I um I recently booked a session with um a lady called Dr Sonia F Tan who is based in Canada and she does um Chinese oh. birth chart readings so yeah, she was brilliant and it was over Zoom. So um I kind of rocked up to that and she had my um my place of birth, the date and the exact time I was born, and that's all she had. So she created my birth chart from that and then we spent an hour talking about it and I just was ready for her to just talk about this wood energy and you know, maybe I had a little bit of metal in me, I thought. So I was completely wrong. She said, your chart's really interesting. It's quite rare. <laughs> she said, you're fire, 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 metal. So when she explained that, it made so much sense because one of, one of the key things that I think I struggle with in terms of work and university um, and in just in life is that I have so many thoughts and ideas. Mm. I have so many pots on the hob. I mean, that is just, you know, obviously me being pregnant in the middle of a degree is just such a great example of that. There are layers of things, you know, right now we're, we're moving out of London into a house and there's, there's always so much. She said, you, you, you're very busy. You have a very busy life. And, and I said, yeah, I kind of felt like that was the same as everyone else. But it's, it's almost like something that I'm creating. She said, you know, you have lots of creative ideas all the time. And I think you struggle to sort of pin down one to its completion, which is completely true. That I have too many, too many fingers and too many pies sometimes. So it's it's a challenge for me to try and simplify and streamline my life or one thing that I'm working at from each point. Um, it was just really, really enlightening. And I, I recommend it to you anybody um, that has an interest in this whether they're part of the industry or not be interested I'll get I'll get the details um, later on um, yeah <laughs> that we do get kind of sometimes blindsided by our own ideas or ourselves um, which is why I I sometimes I needle myself all the time when I'm like oh I'm a bit you know I really need my period to arrive now or things like that but I still like to go to other people because I think I think sometimes I'm like either recycling my own deficient chi <laughs> or I just see something, but I don't see the full picture because I've got a different idea of, of myself. I completely, completely agree. And there have been many times during lockdown, which I have needled myself more as a necessity than anything else. Um, I've had 
three or four migraines in the last six months and it scared me because something my mum suffered with up until menopause and they were so debilitating for her I just thought no I'm not going to go down that path again so I, I tried to you know need as much as you can do when you're in the middle of a migraine which is just horrific and you know it's very hard to even move but I I tried to needle myself um slightly or you know just large intestine for liver three um and yin tang I think was all I was ma- able to manage obviously you're yes. using one hand and it's on one side of your body but um I think it helped but it, it was almost like that was a prompt for me to go and book in to see someone properly because you're completely right we are unable to see certain things within ourselves not only are we not able to reach that's a perfect metaphor for you know what's happening in terms of the the diagnosis there are parts we're unable to see in ourselves and it requires somebody that you can trust that can you know share their as you said share their chi and energy with us because otherwise we are just going around in the in a circle and that energy exchange is so important and that's something I'm always fascinated with with working practitioners is how they how they're able to you know re- reserve their own chi from patient to patient to patient to patient because I sometimes find that you know even with friends and family I'm I'm very much kind of a giving listener and sometimes that can kind of wear you out so I'd love to know how you yes well it's really interesting because I remember we started the um the clinic on our third year and it's four blocks of um I think it was eight sessions so for every block you have a different supervisor and at the end of the block you you sit down and you go through the feedback and you get like an improvement plan onto the next block because the idea is that by the end of the fourth block you'll be like a competent practitioner but there's you know they they know that you're not going to start there but in my mind I was like I know how to work. I've worked in a corporate environment. I'm, I'm punctual. I'm organized. Of course, I'm going to do this. And um, the feedback that I had from the first blog was, she said to me, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out because you are so worried about doing it all right. You're so worried about being good that you are actually giving away too much chi. You are just really going to crash and burn unless you address it. And um how do I do it now? Well, partly it's for me, it was a matter of getting the right environment. So I knew I didn't want to work for someone else. I'm done with having a boss. I'm absolutely done with that. Uh, and with I have wonderful <laughs> bosses, but I'm just done. My, my father had his own company and he always said that's the best feeling in the universe. And now I get it. Um, so I didn't even rent like a room in a health center or something like that. I have a room at the back of a hairdresser's, which is my room. Um, the hairdressers offered to do the reception service for me and bookings. And I was like, no, 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 I want to do it all. So then I make a conscious effort to have breaks and to, I, I don't work evenings. Um, if someone's really desperate, I might do it as an exception for them. But normally 6 p.m. I'm done. Because I used to, for so many years, get up at five in the morning to go to yoga. From yoga, I would go to the office. I would work until seven or eight, go home, eat, sleep, repeat. And I don't want to do that. Um, So I think for me, it's been a matter of having an environment where I'm really happy. I, I love this work. I really love it. So that has relaxed me a lot. And I think also... um 
last year or my last year of studies, I crashed and burned horribly. So I ended, um, I did my business presentation with a kidney stone. I was having a kidney colic and I was throwing up five minutes before going up onto the stage. Oh, gosh. I didn't so even know painful. it was a kidney stone because at the time I was like, I don't know, is this nerves? But I had done a lot of public speaking for work. So it was, it was a kidney stone. That was not fun. And, um, and then I gave myself um, bilateral tendinitis in both shoulders. Um, yeah, so oh, no. that was a really strong lesson on how I just cannot overwork myself like yeah. I could when I was young. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is something I have to be aware of as well, because even in my previous profession, it's not unheard of, you know, in the world of journalism and publishing to work late, to work early mornings. There was also, which was amazing, quite a lot of travel in my job. So I would be writing copy at, you know, 5am in a hotel room to allow for a time difference. And this was all pre having my daughter. So it was doable, but I was, you know, to the brink of exhaustion at times, you know, especially because I've only ever worked at weekly magazines. So it's a completely different kettle of fish to a monthly right. magazine. Um, it's it's it, it's just an incredible pace to be working at. And for doing that for year in, year out, um, I was probably close to burnout. And it wasn't anyone else's fault. It was just me mixed with the job created this scenario. And um, I'm just conscious, um, although I don't expect to be rushed off my feet whatsoever <laughs> for the first few years because I'll be very green and, you know, finding my feet. But... I need to be careful that I don't give too much in terms of, yeah, energy. And there is just that healthy boundary. And because I'm new and because I really want to help and because I want to do well, um, there is that risk that I can, you know, just put too much of myself into it. And I just want to, yeah, maintain energy at the end of the day. And I've heard there are certain grounding rituals that some practitioners have, like washing their hands between patients or just stepping outside and breathing fresh air between patients, just something that is a signal that you can tell your body, okay, calm down, come back to yourself and regroup, um, ready for the next person. Um, so I hope that maybe something will develop for me it does it does right. and you notice it because when I'm slightly off kilter I can tell like I come home and I'm a bit wired but uh, well if I'm if I'm having a, an energy conservation day where I'm helping people but I'm not giving away my own energy then I get home and I'm like oh that was a really good day and I've worked but it's not been um to my own detriment it, it, if that makes sense i think for me it's something i i'll always have to um take care of because my tendency is to give 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 and exhaust myself but i think i got to a point where i'm like um yeah i just need to really um look after myself i i remember reading the um the latest uh, peter deadman book live long live well has a lot of really good advice for that yeah, I have that book. I picked it up recently because I wanted to remind myself um, about some seasonal foods that he had written about. But um, yeah, it's it's something that I do think some people just master really well. Um, I knew Emma Cannon, who is a big fertility acupuncturist um, in my previous life as a journalist, because um, the worlds of beauty and health and 
acupuncture did sometimes collide um and I remember interviewing her a few times and she always impressed me with her ability to make you feel like you are completely looked after looked after completely listened to um but she would see uh you know quite a lot of patients in a day she would be extremely busy all the time but for you in that moment you were given everything you needed but she maintained boundaries incredibly well and I I can only imagine that within the world of fertility that might be even more challenging because you're dealing with such strong emotional ties um so I think witnessing and this is why the the whole historical kind of concept of apprenticing and um, within acupuncture I think is so important and has helped this medicine maintain its longevity because you know we learn from we learn from the way we observe and so um, I am hopefully going to try and find somebody that I can work alongside when I graduate maybe just one day a week um, as an apprentice or an assistant I'll I'll do I'll do the washing of the beds between between patients um I'm not too proud to to you know to go and assist somebody because I, all I want is for my knowledge to be as best as it can so that I can bring that into the treatment room for my yes, patients and there's something about just observing a skilled practitioner so I've not apprenticed as an acupuncturist yet but um, as, a, as a yoga practitioner I, I did apprentice with my yoga teacher for a little while once and and it was amazing and then the thing is because for me it's creating trust is probably the most important aspect of healing I think that's that's my my personal opinion Obviously, when someone doesn't know you the first day that they see you, they might be a bit like, okay, I don't know this person. But I think it's really important to then establish that trust because if they trust that you have their best interests at hand, then the healing is going to be so much more potent. It's so true. And I think, yeah, establishing that trust and and expressing uh, the authenticity of who you are as a practitioner um, I think that it's probably a common feature for graduates to try and create a a kind of a, a persona or a silhouette to step into and oh this is me as a practitioner and that's partly why I've avoided specializing or you know being too finite in um, going down a specific path with an acupuncture as a new graduate because I need that to to develop organically I need to be able to feel and understand and know where my strengths are know how I interact with patients outside of the clinic environment and and I think that can only come through practice and um, you know developing naturally as opposed to me deciding okay I'm going to just deal with trauma or I'm going to just deal with Mm. musculoskeletal Um, because I have interest in multiple areas I think that that is um, it's something that it needs to just be felt out and you know and those those intricacies of being in somebody else's presence um I don't know how it is at other colleges and universities but at Westminster there is a real really strong foundation of um teaching which is based around a therapeutic relationship and the nuances of that um are so important and I feel that too so if I go to an acupuncturist or even a hairstylist or a masseuse I instantly know instinctively whether they want to be giving me this treatment or whether they're going through the motions. 
I'm sure the same for you, especially with a masseuse, you can feel it in their fingertips. So that's the authenticity and the intention has to be there. And I don't think that I could do that if it was, you know, you know, something within acupuncture, a a specific subfield that wasn't something I was, you know, hugely passionate about. Um, So, yeah, I I want to show up authentically and to be able to offer um, a trusting relationship where, um, you know, because I will also have a a home treatment room uh, once I move. So there's also like this other layer of being in my home. And I'm interested to see how that will um, how that will alter or strengthen or will it impact that therapeutic relationship in any way? Um so that's kind of top of my yeah, mind right now. Yeah, that's a very, very good question. So the thing that really comes across to me, at least right now, is um, your mental strength um, that you've just gone through through acupuncture school while having a baby. You have a baby. You are still graduating. You are planning your clinic. So what advice would you give to people that are... Um, struggling a little bit with um, with COVID, with the world changing, with all these things that sometimes are not that easy to deal with. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified to offer advice, but I think what's helped for me, um, because there is so much uncertainty, is just to um, establish a routine that works for you and um, stay connected. I think connectivity within these times is the most important thing we can give ourselves for our own mental health, but also to continue to um, support that community that has, I think, been one of the greater aspects of the past six months, six, eight, nine months, however long we've been in this now. Um, so reaching out to people, um, even staying connected in a more passive way by listening to podcasts is something that's really helped me. Um, I listen to the Chi Logical podcast quite frequently because I find that sometimes I'm just not in the right headspace to look in a textbook. And, and also as a mother of a two and a half year old, there is an extremely limited amount of time for me to do that right now. Um, Noah starts nursery in a few weeks, which I'm very much looking forward to. So hopefully I'll have a little bit more time pending any further lockdowns. So listening to a podcast is something that I'm able to do kind of whilst walking around out and about um, or, you know, first thing in the morning, sometimes I'll just whack it on. Um, So that's just another way of absorbing information. But also I feel like I'm connected to the community in that way. Um, for me, exercise has really helped me to stay feeling strong as well. So I am a bit more of a kind of um, high octane exercise type person, which please don't get the wrong impression. It doesn't mean I'm super fit. I just like to do um, more aerobic style. I know I am so susceptible to liver chi stagnation and liver yang rising. So as you know, like exercise and moving the chi is the best thing I can do for myself and I feel the complete kind of you know it's black and white for me as soon as I've come off that bike I feel completely different so um, I think finding the exercise that speaks to you and just creating a routine that you can stick to that is um, not just important for these times but just important for, for life. I think the thing I get frustrated about is I know that I am yin deficient. And so actually I could do with some more yin practices in my life. 
um, obviously I'm I'm really limited in time, but at the same time as that, you know, the quote that Beyonce has the same 24 hours in a day as, as we do. So and look at everything yeah, that she managed Beyonce's to get Beyonce's this. So, um, I, she is, and she probably has quite a few nannies and chefs and, you know, um, actually cooking has been like a real mindful practice for me throughout lockdown um, because we're obviously restrained to our homes um, and I'm cooking for my daughter and my husband every day, a couple of times a day that just helps to ground me. And um, I just didn't want to fall down the path of, you know, convenience foods and, and things like, don't get me wrong. We still love a pizza on the weekend, but um, it kind of helps me to feel like everything's fine. I'm in control. If I've made a nice, you know, lentil curry or something of that. There's, there's, there's a really good book. Oh, if I could remember the name. It's about the it's about feeding people and the exchange of energy and the exchange of humanity. It's a it's a human thing ah. to feed people. You know what I mean? It is, and it's. I think it's a specifically female thing. Um, I don't know. It's. I guess you know. It's something that I definitely feel is maybe part of my kind of maternal um, characteristic. I um, I do like to cook for people. Um, but then, you know, I think that women shoulder a lot of the domestic labor, especially in lockdown. And I'm fully aware that it, it takes time out of my day that I'm not getting back. Um, and I am really, really craving more time. But I know that this is also temporary. So I'm just, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned, especially on finding out that um, our clinic wouldn't be reopening in September like a lot of the other colleges. When I first found that out, I just... I just felt so knocked by that and so frustrated and just I was just ready to you know I was ready to fight it and just I just couldn't accept it at all and it took me a few weeks to get to this point of just complete acceptance with this is how things are right now and as you said before the challenges I have are you know nowhere near as bad as somebody else this whole pandemic has just created such turmoil for people in so many different areas of their lives. And I've lost a family member in March okay. as well. And there's just been so much, thank you. There's been so much heartache that this is solvable. This is, you know, this is something that will come to completion when the time is right. And I just have to trust in the flow of these things and not always meet them with resistance. So I'm really, I feel like I have turned a corner in that aspect and um well we'll 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 revisit that in January. <laughs> well I remember <laughs> reading about liver cheese stagnation because in my mind it's always been like, well, I get liver cheese stagnated when I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm furious and, and I can be a fairly angry person. <laughs> but I read another definition, I can't remember where, um, that said you get liberty stagnated when there is a disconnect between your idea of what reality should be and what reality is. And I thought that's fantastic because you don't yeah. necessarily need to be, to get angry. It doesn't have, it doesn't, it doesn't always rise, but sometimes I get like that, like this kind of like sense of discontent. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really profound and that does ring true. Um, there is, I feel like in my life, I do constantly have a vision of what something <laughs> 
could look like or should look like and you know it is that kind of struggle with shifting into what really is and you know I think one thing that I associate with um, the wood element and liver cheese stagnation when it's kind of out of kilter is that need to continue to forge ahead to plan to grow to keep pushing on so when I was told that there would be this complete halt to proceedings it was again, as you said, it was the complete uh, reversal of how I foresaw things to be. And it prevented me from forging ahead. So on both of those counts, I was, you know, it, I'm just not the right person for that to for that to happen to. But it, you know, it provided me with an opportunity for growth. And I think that has been something that was probably necessary in my yes, life. So I think the message for all the other people that are just on the verge of graduating is just hang in there, hang in there. Hang in there because on the other side of this, there is nothing that people are going to need more than the care, the empathy and the medicine that we can offer them. You know, I, I wondered if this would mean people wouldn't spend on acupuncture, but actually I think the reverse is true. I think that health is, you know, it's the biggest kind of, um, it's it's our currency. It's the most valuable thing we have, really, and we're he- we're there, hopefully, to help support that. That's hugely Indeed. important. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can we find you? Oh, um, I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Joanna Elna underscore. Um, Very good, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Vanessa. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for having me.